Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the podcast of the Practice Manager webinar run on Wednesday the 11th of November. So um, welcome everybody. It's lovely that so many of you are able to join us. We know it's an absolutely manic time for you at the moment. Um, so 60 of you are on the call, which is fantastic. We're aware there's a BSW practice manager um, call at the same time. So that's where Nigel is and he'll be joining us later. And that's where obviously some of our colleagues are. So we're going to start off with um, Lisa Harding and Michelle Lombardi, two of our directors of primary care, who will go through various updates with you. And then as I say, Nigel Watson, our chief executive, is on the BSW call at the moment. So when he comes in, probably at 20 past to half past one then Carol Cusack um, our director of primary care will ask him some questions and we're going to concentrate obviously on COVID and the vaccine and the vaccine um, process that's going on at the moment. Carol will ask questions and I'm sure she'll reflect a lot of what you want to hear but if you can think of anything as we're going along do pop it in the Q&A box and Carol will ask him questions but also reflect some of your questions coming in so do that as we go along and that'll be fantastic. So I'm just going to hand over to Michelle now and just to um, start off and um, take it from there so thanks very much. Thanks Louise. So um, I'm going to talk about a few things today. On my list are the clinically extremely vulnerable um, previously known as shielding and particularly in reference to practice staff. Also going to talk a bit about flu looking at flu recording and also the porcine gelatin uh, uh, issue in vaccines that um, information that's been recently circulated. I'm um, also going to talk a bit about uh, the uh, CBD prevent um, request that's come in and maybe touch on a bit of PPE and the sign up to the portal. So going for the first uh, for the first topic, the clinically extremely vulnerable, I love the catchy title, nice and short, that was known as shielding, particularly relating to STAR. So I'm going to refer, still refer to it as shielding because I find that easier. So we've had a few queries um, coming in from practices, particularly in light of lockdown um, being put in place again and the updated shielding guidance that has, has recently been circulated. So basically relating to um, members of staff who are in these groups. So we would suggest that practices review the risk assessments that they undertook back in the first wave, considering that there are two new cohorts that might also be applicable. And actually, you need to decide on an individual basis what you want to do and how you want to protect these members of staff. You do have a duty and a responsibility, as you will all um, know, uh, as employers to ensure your, um, your staff are safe. There, are, there is national guidance that's been issued, and I'm going to read it word for word because I think it's important. And what it states is if you can, it strongly advises these members of staff to work from home. If they cannot do this, they should not attend work during the period of restrictions. And I think the key word is it says states should not and must not. However, as I've already said, you have a duty to your members of staff to ensure you protect and keep them safe. So you need to review your risk assessments, depending on the outcome of that, look at whether remote working is possible for their role. If that's not possible, you could consider looking at whether it's possible to put specific measures in around your premises. So whether you, they could enter the building without coming into contact with patients or staff and that they're protected from, from contact. If these are both not possible, then you really do need to consider, based on your risk assessment, whether these staff should actually be at work. And I think you need to take into consideration the national guidance, which I've just read out, and that your duty as an employer to keep them safe. I think also taking into consideration if these members of staff contracted COVID, um, there are serious implications potentially for them and to think about that. 
Uh, flu recording. So I know that we had a number of um, queries last week. I think one public health team wrote out to practice because there are a number of patients being identified in the CQRS um, search for 50 to 64 year olds, which obviously that cohort hasn't been approved yet. So the issue has been identified in that you need to make sure that when a flu vaccination is given, that the reason for them having that flu vaccination is coded. And I think that's been the main problem. The ones that we're hearing most um, are causing the issues are care, uh, carers not being coded, GP locums, healthcare workers, immunosuppressant. So it's really just to remind a reminder to code the reason for having flu vaccinations. Unfortunately, public health are not able to approve the payments. If there's even just one patient in the 50 to 64 year olds, they can't approve the other other cohorts that you will have done. It's an all or nothing. So that that could be why they're not approving patient uh, payments. So just to be aware of that. Um, moving on to the two to three year olds, the flu vaccines, um, the LAIV, particularly relating to the porcine gelatin, um, the recent bulletin has stated that practices will be able to consider giving alternative vaccines to patients where the parents are, un un are not happy to have uh, the LAIV. And we believe this will be from mid-November. There isn't a specific date as yet, and we're waiting for that information to become available. We believe it will be on Inform um, as to when you can start ordering for those cohort of patients. So keep an eye on Inform for those. And then finally, just to mention um, the CBD Prevent. This is a national primary care audit, which um, it's it's your option as to whether you want to sign up to, um, but we would encourage you to do that. It will help with PCNs to look at and identify any gaps and opportunities to improve patients' um, clinical care. So it's worth just having a look and considering whether you're going to sign up to that. And that was all I wanted to say. Thanks, shall I move on, Louise? Just yes, please, Lisa, thank you. There is. Um, I expect most of you probably have seen the document that came out last week now around COVID testing and general practice. Um, we do have a page that Dawn has set up on our website with the document and more information. So we'll post that. Um, but just confirm that COVID swab testing um, is available to general practices on a voluntary opt-in basis. Um, it doesn't replace the existing routes for testing um, and it's really intended to be available for those patients who may struggle to access the other routes such as rural issues issues around accessing digital that kind of thing um, so it can be offered to patients who present with symptoms it can also be offered to symptomatic pre practice staff and symptomatic household contacts or, or um, household members I should say of staff um, if practices do want to sign up to it um, they'll be provided with a unique organisation number, then they need to register. They can order kits via the gov.uk portal. Um, they will then be provided with a kit. Uh, they register the kit on behalf of the patient. Um, they can either then post it back via Royal Mail, via the special post boxes, or it can be collected by courier if they are undertaking more than eight kits per day. Um, the results go directly to the patient, I believe, via email or text. Um, it will flow into the patient record, but is not automatically flagged. So, so perhaps it's probably just need to be aware of that. Um, any queries, 119 should be on call for help. Um, and uh, they, they can have up to 40 swab tests per kits per week. 
Um, so as I say, there is more information on our website. If anybody wants to read the full document, there's quite a bit of information in FAQ on there. Um, we also just wanted to mention, we've had a couple of queries from practices around uh, list cleansing requests from PCSE. Um, we think these are largely uh, for practices with a more significant turnover where there may be discrepancies. Um, given the timescales that are being, they're being given, which is a 10-day turnaround and where we are at the moment, we have flagged up concerns with the GPC who are discussing it with NHS England. So um, as soon as we hear more, we'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> but just to make you aware, and actually if you, if you do get contacted, it'll be useful if you just let us know. Um, a quick reminder, I think we've already mentioned this before, but the CQRS number has changed. I believe that's on our website, but it is now 0330-124-4039. So just a reminder that that number has changed now. Um, just wanted to mention CQC. Uh, Carol might want to sort of chip in on this one, but uh, just to say that they are developing a transitional monitoring approach rather than the previous routine inspection model that they used. Um, the focus will be on safety, access, and how effectively a, a service is led. Again, we've got more information on our website, um, which includes a webinar that Rosie Benoit gave um, to give you a little bit more information. Understand the implementation is planned from May 2021. Um, so go to our website if you just like to, to look at that in a bit more detail. And finally, it's just a reminder really around patients who have moved out of area. Um, we know that sometimes um, secondary care update patient addresses on the spine. Just remind your admin teams to check that rather than sort of just accepting that the patients are still within your practice area. If you accept them, then you cannot then require the patient to, to re-register elsewhere. So it's just a reminder to remember that if you've accepted the patient uh, with their new address outside your practice area, you can't, um, you can't require them if you haven't done it within the regulatory requirements to re-register elsewhere. So it's just a reminder because we know practices that then find it difficult to persuade practices to move elsewhere. Um, and that was it from me, Louise. Thank you, Lisa. Um, just one question that isn't COVID related. Um, any update on the NHSPS test case for FM charges? Anybody can answer that? Uh, that's me. No, um, not at the moment. We, we understand the BMA were given a court date for December. Um, whether it will go ahead now, because that was before second lockdown. So we haven't really heard. It's still pending. Um, we're still hopeful. Um, but we've, we haven't had anything yet. Believe you me, I'm, I'm onto this daily, as you know. So it's, uh, yeah, it's one of my areas that, that I keep an eye on. So we, we, we will let you know as soon as, but there's absolutely nothing at the moment. So our advice still remains, you know, hand over your rent, your, your all reimbursable stuff, your business rates and everything, and pay what you were paying historically. If you want to add a bit of inflation on to, so that your bill might not be too high later on, great. But you can, as far as we're concerned, the, um, the addition of the uh, management charges is, is what the BMA is going to court about because they feel that that is, is not a legal uh, requirement for practices to pay. So yeah, we'll we will just keep you updated as as we um as we hear anything. 
Okay, thanks, Carol. I just wanted to mention um, some new webinars that we've just started to do on Friday lunch times. So one a month for the receptionist and the admin team, and one a month for the practice managers and team leaders. And it's just to try and give you a little bit more support. We are asked to do something, so we're just trying something else for you. So this Friday, we've got a happiness and stay motivated webinar. It's just an hour at lunchtime um, for that receptionist, secretaries, admin staff. We are recording it and actually people have used the recording after with their teams if they're not able to join together on a Friday and they found it really motivating and it's a bit of fun as a, and it's just to encourage a little bit of morale and positive thinking. Linking in with that, the practice manager one which is on Friday 27th of November, again at lunchtime, is going to be on keeping motivated and feeling valued and some tools for you and your team. And we've got over 70 of you already registered for that one, over 50 um, of, for the receptionists already registered. So I would just encourage you to join in with that. It's just that we do know time is so precious, but time for yourself is really important. So if that helps at all, that is fantastic. We are recording them, so please do use them. Um, we will keep going with these sort of webinars. So we know they're useful. I see there are 110 of you already in today, which is absolutely fantastic. And we know more and more of you are listening afterwards to the recording. So the next one of these is the 25th of November. And the next one of the news webinars that Nigel leads is going to be on the 3rd of December. So just wanted to put, put that one in a little bit. Um, just see there's a comment. Um, Missed a little bit of the conference last week. Can I catch up? Yes, you can catch up. They, all the bits, all the conference, we're just sort of sorting out the recordings and editing some of the sections and trying to put them up on the website in a way that's easy for you to sort of retrieve them rather than putting it up as a whole block block to, to, to listen to. So we are going to be doing that, Jan, um, and we'll do, be doing that as soon as we can. Um, Carol, did you want to say anything else about practice managers at this moment? Um, there was something else I just wanted to mention um, because it's a hot topic I don't think, um, I think we've vaguely mentioned it, but we, we haven't told you, given you an update. And this is around e-consult. So a lot of you um, on our, uh, you know, sort of um, encouragement have been asking e-consult to switch off um, e-consult either at weekends and or sometimes in the evenings. And I think you're getting refusals because they're saying they need the CCG's permission to which we went, <laughs> however... It turns out that the actual contract has been signed between eConsult and the CCG, and therefore it would be an amendment to their contract, and that's why the permission is needed. So Dawn has very kindly got Nigel to sign an email to all the CCGs asking them to contact the account managers, and we've given them the details of who they are, because Dawn's like a little ferret and she finds everything out. Sorry, Dan, that wasn't an insult to you. Um, and um, we've, we, we've asked them to contact their account managers so that they will say, if any of our practices ask for this, please do it. We don't have a problem. Uh, we're getting some positive stuff, but we haven't, had any, we haven't had it back from everybody yet. The other thing that some practices have told us is that they just changed their, their own website so that patients actually don't have access to it they remove it from the banner i don't know how hard that is to do some some people find it easy some people don't some people outsource all their their website stuff so it'll be different in different cases but it's really just letting you know that we are on the case and uh, we will keep going um and we are you know we're also um dawn is doing some work with e-consult 
to see if um, they can give us some tips about how to manage it better, whether or not we can actually put caps on it so that so that it gets to a point where nobody else can actually, um, you know, put a put a request in. So we'll we'll wait and see. And we're hoping that we will have an IT conference sometime in the new year. And if we do, then we will ask eConsult to come along and go through all of this and and all some management tips um, as well. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. Um, just there were a couple of other things we were going to mention, Michelle and Lisa. I don't know about the PPE portal, Michelle. I think you thought that might be there's a little something to be wanted to pass on with that. Thank you. It's really just a reminder for practices to sign up to use the PPE portal. We've heard on we hear on a number of national meetings um, that practices are not there are some practices who are not accessing this. So it's really important that you do because actually you won't have to pay for your PPE. Um, uh, yeah, and it's just a reminder to do so. Okay, that's great. Tell about the 50 to 64 year olds flow. So there is a question, isn't there, in the Q&As about when we're going to get it. I, we believe the information's drafted and we're just waiting for it to be released. I, I don't think there's any guidance as to when that will be at this stage. I'm, I'm not aware of anything. I don't know if anyone else is, but it, it's drafted and we're just waiting now. I think that they're, they're hanging on because they're waiting to make sure that we hit the targets that they're after for the over 65s and the at risks because they're worried that they could run out. Um, so they, they want to make sure we've got all those done first. And I mean, I know there's some questions coming in for Nigel, so I don't want to preempt preempt those but certainly because of the what the jcvi has issued just today about the cohorts for the covid vaccine you know we would say get your get your over 80s get make sure they've had their flu and then the 75s etc so it's going to come down in tranches oh and a perfect timing dr watson marvelous Thank you, Nigel. Thank you for joining us. That is that is absolutely brilliant timing. So we've just done a roundup of lots of other things and tried to avoid the COVID word as, as much as possible. And I think now you're going to have a little bit of an interview from Carol. NPR interrogation. <laughs> I didn't like to use that word. We have got quite a lot of questions in the in the boxes um, and some that we haven't previously thought of so that's great um, but really I think Nigel if, if you wouldn't mind could you just do a, a, a short summary of, of what the programme means for practices and PCMs? Okay so uh, apologise to anyone who's heard me say this before but essentially as you know the, um, the only way we're going to get out of this pandemic is by getting enough people immune that we stop spreading the disease. So the bits to do with hand washing, face masks, social distancing, the lockdown slows the spread of disease, but it's not going to get rid of it. So vaccination is clearly the most critical bit in terms of trying to um, get on top of the disease and return to a normal life. So a really high priority, really important with, you know, you see the number of people dying each day, which is clearly tragic. So, you know, we need to focus on how we care for the people, but the vaccination program is critical. So there are two vaccines, one produced by Pfizer, one produced by AstraZeneca. There are several other being developed. The Pfizer vaccination, which has been in the news, we think will become available in the next few weeks. The AstraZeneca probably shortly afterwards. It will go through the normal licensing procedures and it will only be licensed once it's safe and effective. And there are various characteristics of each of the vaccine, which logistically mean 
that we've got to deliver the vaccine program, at least initially, in a particular way. So it's got to be stored at minus 80. Once it's delivered, it has a short, short shelf life. Um, the Pfizer one needs to be mixed with a dilutant. And once you do that, it's only uh, available for use for about six hours. So there's been lots of discussion over a number of weeks about how the program is delivered. And clearly, uh, the only people with experience of mass vaccination is called general practice. So we're part of the program. There's three bits to it. So there's the roving, the local, the mass. So the mass vaccination centers probably won't be set up uh, for four or five weeks. And the intention is to have one of those per STP area. There may be more coming on stream later, but the idea is to offer these to um, the population. Um, <clears throat> the roving are for the housebound and the people living in care homes. And um, there are proposals about that in Hampshire. It's likely that practices will be asked to do the care homes, community staff doing the housebound. And then it leaves the local vaccination centres. So initially what is being asked that there's one premises per PCN geography to deliver the vaccination out of. And that's because initially the Pfizer vaccine, if it's the first one that's going to be um, licensed, comes in packets of 975 doses to be used in five days. And you can't divide the pack and share it out amongst the neighboring practices because of the law around the licensing and the distribution. Now, they, allegedly the AstraZeneca vaccine will come in smaller batches, so you may be able to do it from more sites. But initially, you'll need to do it um, in one site and be able to deliver about a thousand, thousand vaccines over a week period. Clearly, there's some uh, desire to get the vaccination done in a timely fashion and probably over a period of 16 to 18 weeks. Some people are predicting this will go on into the autumn of next year, but all that will depend on A, how much vaccine we get supplied and B, how quickly we can administer the vaccine. Um, the DES hasn't been published yet. The DES won't be published until probably in about two weeks' time. The contents is on the NHS England website, and there are four documents, which are what we're working from. And the idea is to try and set up the system of vaccination that you would deliver it by, and then practices will need to make a decision towards the end of this month whether they sign up to uh, collaborating in the DES or not. And the collaboration bit is this idea of working together within a geographical um, boundary. There are lots of documents going to be produced nationally. There's stuff to do with consent. There's um, patient information. Um, there's um, patient uh, group directive going to be produced. There's videos going to be produced. There is also going to be documentation about sharing staff and about uh, temporary employment. On top of the funding for the DES, so it's £12.58 per vaccine you administer, you'll need to give the same vaccine twice. So 21 days for one, 28 days for the other, uh, from the first and the second vaccine, and you'll get paid for each vaccine dose. Um, some people have asked whether you wouldn't get paid if you do the first vaccine and they don't come back for the second. Yes, you will. Um, those are the circumstances which payment will be made. On top of this, there's 150 million uh, being invested via um, our STP areas, which is to expand the GP um, wor uh, workforce over the winter months. That's coming down for a number of things that need to be delivered. So they're looking at the vaccination, about the COVID at home monitoring, um, 
recording of ethnicity, maintaining and improving the long-term condition uh, backlog that there might be, and one or two other things. So there's some additional money there. In each area, there's a workforce group set up. There's loads of people volunteering, and they're people who uh, are volunteers, but there are also GPs who are returners, locums, people who work less than full-time, people who may work in other spheres, dentists, etc. So this isn't expected that practices are going to have to pick up the whole workload themselves. The expectation is that there will be other people who might be made available. And I think at that point, I'll shut up, Carol, and then answer your questions. Okay, that'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> Not great that you're going to shut up. <laughs> there we go. Who cares? Right. Okay. So can you just, so you, you mentioned about the 21 and the 28 day um, gap. What about between flu and COVID? You can, you've got to give a seven day gap between a, a flu jab and then giving COVID. It, it was 28 days in the first guidance I saw, the latest guidance I saw, it was seven days. But I think all that information will come out formally. So one of the questions we've had um, is, what if somebody is in the cohort to have the COVID, but they haven't actually had their flu yet? Can you give the COVID and then give the flu later? Um, we're not sure about that because they haven't tested. So my advice to you is um, we're way ahead of the where we normally are with flu. So particularly, I would be looking to vaccinate, making sure all my care homes are vaccinated and the elderly so you don't get come into that problem. Yeah. And, and another question along very similar lines is, so we have to separate flu and COVID by seven days. What about any other vaccines? What if somebody's due shingles? Um, the answer is I would avoid all vaccinations around the time because these are new vaccines. So um, normally you'd do the phase one, two and three trials and the phase three, three trials will go on for five years or more. So you then follow the people up, watch their immunity, look to see if there are any long-term effects of it with these vaccines, they're coming to market much more quickly. So they won't be licensed until the data shows that they're safe and effective. And certainly Pfizer released their data, which suggested that they were, um, but we don't know the long-term consequences of it. And clearly we've got to ba balance up what did 500 people died yesterday, didn't they? Versus a vaccine, which looks as if it's going to be effective, but we don't know long-term. And we've got to balance up the risks against the benefits. Yeah, okay. Um, one of the questions that, that came in actually from our own staff at the admin team this morning, Nigel, we hadn't thought of. So when, when we come down the JCVI list, there's a point at which we come to the under 65s at risk. What does that actually mean? Because we've heard that it's not safe for children, that children won't be given it. What if you've got an at-risk child? Is there a cut-off point age-wise? So I would just warn everybody on this webinar that I've seen more myths and um, rubbish written than I have facts. So um, just to sort of uh, bust a few myths, the, the original intention was to vaccinate everybody over 18. And the reason for that is children generally have a very mild illness. There are very few that have a serious consequence of it, but the vast majority of children um, will not have a, a, a particularly significant illness. So the, the intention is not to vaccinate children. Having said that, the Oxford trial is, is, has got a, co a small cohort of children that they are vaccinating to see what it will do. So I think in terms of children in the at-risk group, it won't be a mass vaccination. It will be, there may be very, very 
small numbers of specific groups who, if they get COVID, it would have serious implications. But for the majority, for the majority of children, it won't be um, an issue. Thank you. Um, a question that's come in about who can give the COVID vaccination? Any, anyone that's trained to. So it, it, there will be need to be clinical supervision, but uh, there is training being developed by PHE and HEE, which will become available. It'll be online. And everybody that vaccinates, including the GPs, um, will need to do the online training, which will take about an hour and a half which will explain all the stuff to do with the, the, with the vaccines and the um, potential uh, benefits and the potential risks. So, you know, you can have HCAs. They are looking to train other people to do it. We're looking at medical students, student nurses, um, you know, a whole host of people, but they will need clinical supervision. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so the DES, I believe, talks about um, PCNs um, working, you know, across practices, and a PCN with one site. Lots of practices are concerned about this and feel that they've set up their uh, flu clinics well. They're worried that, you know, bigger, larger sites might have more problems with IT and various other things. What, what do you think the outcome will be? Because I, I know this has been raised quite a lot nationally. So uh, we, we've raised all those concerns. You know, we're, I, I strongly believe that general practice needs to be part of the programme. I think it would be... Um, you know, personally, I think it's, it's, you know, what we should be doing for our patients. I also think living in the community uh, that I've been a GP in for 30 odd years, why, why would I not want to be involved in that? You know, I would absolutely want to contribute to that and give my time to do vaccinations or whatever. But uh, recognise that, that the premises issue is a challenge which we've pushed back. So the, 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 what's in the documents is that initially it's one site and that's because of the logistics of delivering the vaccine. But further down the line, as more vaccine becomes available, you may need to be able, you may, you may be able to use more than one site. So again, those are questions we're asking nationally. I can't say to you that there will be any change in that in the immediate future, but I, I hope people will be listening to our concerns. So, you know, uh, I think most practices I've talked to, A, believe that they can do this, but they need to be given of the flexibility to determine how they deliver it. You know, if we know how many vaccines we need to deliver over what timescale, then I, I believe most practices will um, step up to the mark and be able to do it. A bit like we did when COVID started, you know, the transformation that practices went through, um, led by practice managers to do the, um, you know, changing to total triage, um, remote working, using video consultations, using teams for lots of things, you know, it changed in the space of about 10 days, remarkable. But, you know, I think we need to be given the same trust again. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, th this year we, we had quite an easing of being able to share flu vaccinations across practice, across PCNs. And, you know, will this be the same for COVID? We, we've talked about the storage that, you know, the fridges that are going to be needed, um, the fact that it starts to defrost and, and everything. What, do you know much about how the transportation is going to work, Nigel? Yes. Go on then. Share it. So the, the, there is one site essentially in, in each ICS area that is storing that can store them at minus 80. Once they're out of freezer and then NHS logistics will be delivering them to the site. So they can't deliver to hundreds of sites, which again is what the issue is to start with. Um, and 
they will be delivering it to that one site and they will come in set packages of set numbers of which you then need to store in your in your fridge but so how's that going to work then for the housebound and the, you know when you've got to take stuff out to a nurse is are the vaccines going to be delivered to care in nursing homes or uh, are they going to practice be, them be, with that center They'll be delivered to the designated centre. So if you go to a care home, you can take the number of vials you're going to need. But once you mix them, they've got to be used uh, within six hours. But you can't, for some reason, and I don't quite understand why, you can't then move that to another site. So you'll be able to do the care homes by using that. But actually, if you go and do people at home, then the Pfizer vaccine it doesn't look like you'll be able to, and there's five doses in each vial, you wouldn't be able to use it to take it to another site. Now, I don't understand why, and I'm asking those questions, but as yet, nobody's explained it to me. Yeah, okay. So um, a question here about um, we don't, if we want to take part, which I think everybody does because everybody recognises how important it is, but if we can't find any suitable premises, what then? Um, talk to the CCG because I think that's what they're going to need to feed up to NHS England. Yeah, okay. I mean, what I would hope is all practices would want to take part. Um, if we can find suitable premises and work it to start with and then ask for the flexibility, that will be ideal. But if we can't find the sites, then I think you, know, you need to go to the CCG who ha have got people on estates who are looking at who need to feed that to NHS England. Yeah, okay. Um, there's one here about, um, will, do you think there'll be any flexibility over delivery dates or will practices PCNs have to fit the clinics around the delivery, given that they've only got five days in which to use it? Um, I, I, to be decided, but I think it depends how much vaccine gets delivered. So we're expecting, a dare I say, a trickle of it to start with and then more coming online um, later on. So I, I think... The, if, if the Pfizer one does come to market first, it comes in um, 190 vials with a seven, uh, 975 doses in, uh, yeah. and you can't break it up. It will contain the syringes and needles you need and the dilutant that you'll need. Um, so at the moment, we're still asking the question, how big, how big a package is that? If that's going to come to the practice, you need to fit it in your vaccination fridge. What does that look like? So again, that's one of the questions we're asking. Um, but some of those things, we're still waiting for confirmation of exactly how that's going to work. Yeah. So practices, I think, like as the discussion we've had about, um, you know, the early days and obviously we're going to have teething problems um, and, and, and the eight to eight, seven days a week that's being talked about. How do we avoid wastage? So, you know, if, if you've got a clinic and you've got no vaccine, there's no point in holding your clinic, is there? So, you know, what we need to look at is is the vaccine is going to be like gold dust. So we need to make sure we make efficient use of it. And again, that's part of the ongoing discussion. You know, we've got, we've got the outline of the DES, we've got the stuff that is um, there at the moment. Um, and, you know, those are discussions that are ongoing. Yeah, okay. And also um, what we haven't mentioned is, is, is how the booking system is going to work. As I understand, patients that are in the cohort that, are to be vaccinated at any given point in time will receive a letter. How does that work? So um, the JCVI, which is the Joint Committee on Vaccinations and Immunisations, have looked and they've put a schedule of recommendations. So the phase one will be the uh, over 80s, the people in care homes, 
um, and the workers in care homes and health and social care workers. So that phase one, those people in those groups will get a letter. I don't think all the health and social care workers may get a letter because they might not know everyone. So, for example, in a hospital trust, the hospital are expected to vaccinate them or in the community trust. But if you look at the care, carers in care homes, they won't be able to do that. So general practice will be funded to be able to deliver that. So they will get a letter and then they will get the option. So they can book with the national booking service, which will then on their database be able to book them into a mass vaccination site, these one per um, ICS, STP, or a local vaccination site, i.e. their practice or their PCN um, in their area. So practices have the option of joining the national booking system, so slots will go on the national booking system, or they can have their own booking system, or what may happen is that they belong to both of those. So that will be a choice for practices. It, there is something in the letter from NHSC suggesting the funding from extended hours and extended and enhanced access could be used to fund the programme. So apart from the item of service fee, there'll be no new money. So it didn't say that. Um, I think that's a really interesting interpretation. What it said was that the extended hours and improved access need to be looked at and you could consider um, you consider that in, in the greater scheme of things. So CCGs are being asked to look at those, those hours that are commissioned and could they be used for the vaccination programme. Also, the local enhanced services, so the LISs, what of those could be stood down to give people the capacity to do it? Also, the money is the £12.58, plus there is an element of this £150 million, uh, which is coming down to be able to expand the GP workforce to be able to do this. So is there any money on top of that? No. Does that mean you can, you're can you going to operate at a loss? No, because I've worked out for my practice how you could work that through with the numbers that need to be done using a mixture of vaccinators, including doctors, nurses, and HCAs and others, and admin and stewardship, et cetera. Um, and I believe um, on the timings I've looked at, and I've based it on seven and a half minutes per vaccine, which I think is quite generous, you still wouldn't lose money on it. Just going back to the national booking system, I think you said then, Nigel, that patients that are known to the health system, so those in hospitals and presumably those um, with codes on the, on the system and ages, obviously, will be done through a national call system, but healthcare workers and social care workers will have to be done well, practices. How will that work? So, so in the first wave you, or the first phase, you will be able to vaccinate health and social care workers. Um, I just don't think the NHS will. I mean, they may do, but I, I'm not sure they're going to write. They won't know all, who are all the social care workers. No. Um, so we don't exactly know that. I mean, they they ha they hopefully, um, unlike the flu vaccination one, where um, in the southeast they sent them to the wrong people, but. You know, one would hope that through the national database, they will be able to send it, you know, to people over 80, for example. And, you know, I would imagine that practices will be contacting their care homes and arranging to go and vaccinate them. And that leads on to how much notice do you think practices are likely to get of when their delivery is going to come? We don't know yet. But again, that's one of the questions we're asking, because you can't just sort of suddenly on Monday morning turn up with a thousand doses of vaccine and not have anywhere in your fridge to do it. Yeah. Um, 
So, and vice versa. You don't yeah. want, you know, you don't want loads of people ready for for the vaccine queuing up, and you've got no vaccine for them to exactly. have. Because that's a nightmare, isn't it? I suspect we will have some teething problems at the beginning. I mean, well, yeah, but hopefully, you know, I mean, again, I have great faith in general practice that I think. You know, if you if you got something impossible to do, give it to busy people. So give it to practice managers, and they'll find the solutions. Yeah. So yeah, there may well be teething problems, but I hope. And you know, the expectation is why you know why we're being told this now, and the the final des document's been delayed. Something is. I think it does give us a chance to um, map this out, and dare I say, process map it, and say, okay, which is what I did, which was. So if I'm going to deliver the vaccine to this cohort of people over a 16-week period, what, what do I, how many do I guess will go to the mass site? How many will be done in my practice? How many are housebound care homes? And, you know, the figures that we're having to feed up nationally are a best a guess. Um, you know, in my mind, the way I've looked at it is um, they reckon 75% of people might um, go for a vaccination, 25% might decline, who knows? Um, and they reckon near to 100% of health and social care workers will go for it. And we're looking at 18 to above um, and two vaccines. So if you look in NHS England or, or the government have purchased 90 million doses of vaccine, so that's virtually one and a half doses per um, person in the UK. So if I looked at my practice and said, well, probably... I'll do 60% of the population, 30% will go to the mass vaccination centres and 10% will be housebound or in care homes. So if I had to do 60%, what would that be? How would I calculate? So I calculated that on one and a half vaccines for that grouping and then uh, worked out through, you know, if I did it at seven minute intervals and I delivered this over a 16 week period, what, how many would I need to vaccinate a day? So it's quite possible to work it through and then work out the logistics. And I think that's what practices need to do and say, right, okay, just what would we estimate at this point in time? Because I tell you, some of the, you know, the national estimates, to my mind, are way off. So, for instance, delivering stuff at home, they've talked about a person in a car with a driver could do 11 people in a day. Well, I think driving myself, I could do more than that. Um, Yeah, I've driven with you, Nigel. I'm sure you could. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> care homes, you know, two care homes in a day. Yeah, that's quite possible. But, you know, I think we would get our care homes done pretty quickly if we have enough vaccine to do it. So, you know, I, I think it is worth thinking through what you would do um, and how, would, how you would do that. I think Dawn and Michelle are working on a sort of um, calculator, aren't you, like you did for the flu? Um, so the practice have got something to it will make some assumptions because I don't think you, you, you know you, nobody's going to be 100% but is that the sort of thing you're working on Dawn Michelle? Yeah I think we're going to adapt the flu calculator and I think the the way we set it up was that you had picking boxes so you could choose how long you were going to take for example to give a flu vaccine so it was it, you could base it on your own calculations um, so yeah we're, we're working on that. So will you will you be building in um, the fact that there's going to have to be social distancing and, and the 15 minutes sits afterwards? Because your throughput, depending on your site, your throughput is going to be affected, isn't it? Depending um, on, you know, because of the 15 minutes. Yeah, we're, I'm sure we'll build all that in. I'm looking to Dawn. Dawn's our whiz on spreadsheets and 
um, has done a great job on it. So we'll, uh, I'm sure it will do. Yeah. Um, question for you, Nigel. So patients, when they get their letter, they're given the choice of um, whether they go through the national booking system or whether they go to whatever set up more locally. And they choose also whether they go to a mass vaccination centre or local. Um, will Is it possible that some PCNs might get patients coming from a different PCN area to their local thing? And, and is that acceptable? Well, it is possible. But again, that's one of the questions that we're asking. But as I think I read that that um, the indemnification is fine no matter yeah. what, so it doesn't really matter. And also, I think I read, please correct me if I'm wrong, I think I read that um, practices can actually vaccinate their own staff, whether they're patients yeah. or not. Yes? Yes, that's correct. The, the so first that's going to make life a bit better, isn't it? Yeah. So this will be delivered under an NHS contract. And because it's an NHS contract, anybody that's working under that contract is covered by the state-backed indemnity CNS GP. And yes, you're right, you will be able to vaccinate your own staff. You'll be expected to. Good. And there will be PGDs, I believe, coming out as there well. Is a P- there is a PGD being produced nationally. There are a group of pharmacists working on it as we speak. Okay. I think they're meeting at three o'clock this afternoon. And are practices going to know when the letters are going to be sent out, Nigel? Will, will we get some prior notification that the batch of letters are going? That is my understanding, yes. Okay, good. Um, I think this is a comment more than, more than a surely sign up to give PCN site information by Tuesday is unrealistic, but it's, it's a site choice only, isn't it? There's nothing yeah. more than that. Yeah, it's, you need to identify the site if at all possible. And yeah, you know, the timescales are challenging and you could say ridiculous but again I would just reflect that we need to be ready to go when the vaccine's available you know if you look at the number of people who are dying every day um, and the the huge numbers that are affected the bit we don't know yet is the the long COVID so the people who get these long-term side effects which is which is a bit of an unknown quantity but clearly there are some young people it, it is not quite the benign disease that some young people who seem to sort of go with gay abandon and you know go around um, socialising in mass groups that we've obviously seen on the television um, you know it, for some people it is really quite a devastating um, illness that goes on for a long period of time so we need to get the vaccination up and running so again as soon as it becomes available what we don't want is then to sort of go into six months of discussion about well what's the governance behind it can we have the documents could we do this the idea of all this is can we get it up and ready so the NHS is putting been put on sort of alert to, to start this from the 1st of December. It seems highly unlikely that the vaccine will be available on the 1st of December. Um, but the Pfizer one is, you know, people who know more about this than I do think it may well become available before Christmas. So, you know, that's why, again, we need to, we need to probably get the solutions there as soon as we possibly can. Yeah, okay. Um, You you mentioned about care homes and housebound, um, but you actually mentioned it in relation to the group you're sitting on in Hampshire. Can you confirm is that going to be the same for Dorset and BSW? Not not necessarily. I think there are, I mean, there are discussions going on in Dorset about what role um, does the community provider versus what role practices do, um, and the same in BSW. Um, You know, I I expressed my views. but, you know, they're, they're looking at those. I mean, I'd also say that I think quite a lot of our community nurses work less than full time. So, you know, could they come and help out in practices? Some of them may be more than willing to do so. 
that need to be funded for their time. But again, you know, I think we need to think imaginatively about the workforce to deliver it. It cannot be your practice workforce that just work longer and longer hours. You may have people who work less than full time and they're happy to do it. I have, have, have said to my practice, I'm quite happy to do a couple of sessions a week, one at the weekend and one in the evening to, to do that. Uh, very happy to do that. And I think others, uh, I've talked to a lot of GPs who feel the same. Yeah, okay. Um, I think there's probably either been a misunderstanding or misheard here. So um, the question is, did you say we cannot take a vial from one housebound patient to another? That is correct. With the That's what I've been told this morning with the Pfizer vaccine. I have it. And again, I don't understand why. So the question then is, if we're going to do the housebound and you only give one vac- one dose of vaccine, you waste four doses. So that's, you know, we've probably, I've probably got more questions than any of you, you have. So these questions I've been, uh, I'm chairing the, the operational group in Hampshire for COVID vaccination. So those questions I'm pushing up to um, uh, everybody that I can who should be able to answer them. Okay, yeah. It's uh, it's all so new, isn't it? That's the thing. And it yeah. Um, is, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, could the LMC create a calculator for us based on Nigel's comments? Well, I think uh, I think that's what we are we are doing, aren't we? So, so I am going to put in writing um, when I've got a free moment, which doesn't seem very often at the moment. The calculations that I've done on a practice basis, which you know are only what um, when I was the managing partner in my practice, that's what I would have done: is to look and say, this is a starting point for discussion, and I'm happy to put that um, together and then you can tear it to pieces and see what works for you. Okay. Somebody's asking if we have to uh, vaccinate hospital staff, but presumably the hospitals will do their own, won't they? No, the hospitals will be responsible for doing their own, as will the community trust. There's a good question. If you vaccinate somebody at home, do you have to stay with them then for 15 minutes? Um, Because if they came to your clinic, they would have to wait for 15 minutes. At the moment, that is the case. So that might play into why I think general practice most efficiently should do the care homes, because by the time you get to the 60th person in the care home, the person at the beginning obviously waited more than 15 minutes. And again, if it was me organising it, I'd probably go to a care home with uh, a GP, a nurse and, a, and an HCA or something and go around and do them, you know, because you can take the vial of the Pfizer plus the dilutant and mix it up in the care home and then you could go around and doing it. What you can't do is then transport it to another venue. Right, okay. Uh, question, if somebody has already had COVID and they had a positive test and they've recovered, should they still have the vaccine? Is My it- understanding, and again, I will seek clarification about that, is yes, they should. Yeah, because we don't know how long it lasts, do no, we? Exactly. No, okay. Um, the comment about Arden's have built group reports in System 1, um, including house, family, residential homes. Um, they, they, Arden's are way ahead of everybody, aren't they? They're really good. So that's that's good to know. So, so again, one of the IT things this morning was, so, so you're, you're all used to getting information in from farm outcomes or delivering stuff for farm outcomes from your vaccination, flu vaccination. Um, again, the question is, is, well, the question I've asked, is there a SNOMED code for the flu vaccination with the uh, manufacturer plus the batch number ready? And will that be in a template so we can record it easily? 
there's there's some question about whether that will be available for the 1st of December. And again, it's one of the many questions we're pushing back to say, you know, if this is a national emergency, then uh, the safest way of doing this is for us to have that that information ready to put on our systems. And whoever uh, is responsible needs to pull their finger out and get it done, PDQ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a comment how record vaccine given if they're not our patients or our PCNs, uh, you know, for instance, their homes. So there, there so are... Record- there are there are other IT solutions out there which people are talking about. So uh, again, more information will become clearer in the next week or so. I hope. And uh, you know, the, obviously, practices are concerned. The PCNs are concerned. You know, how do we manage all this work with a reduced workforce, and um, particularly in view of self isolation? And I know you've mentioned the workforce bureau, but. Um, it is a major concern, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely, you know, agree. Um, that's why I, I mean, I, I'll leave it up to you, to, to you as practice managers to, to tell me differently, but I think you probably, if you ask a lot of your staff, they, they will be willing to do some of it, but I don't think, you know, I wouldn't expect, I'm sure you wouldn't expect them to do all of it. And I think that's where, you know, the, the workforce bureaus will, you know, they're looking to get, Four to 5,000 people on their books, probably using one of the platforms that are available. Um, but, and, and, and many of those may go into the mass vaccination centres, but general practice will also need them. And actually, you know, you will, if, if you look at any practice, recently retired GPs or nurses that uh, have retired, you know, quite a lot of those have, have contacted me and saying, how can we help? We'd be quite happy to come back and do it. So, again, you know, I would be looking to say this isn't something you'll be able to deliver just with your own workforce. You know, working within your PCN in collaboration is you're not going to have enough vaccine or people to vaccinate that you're going to need to do mass vaccinations on every day. You know, whether we do more on a Saturday or Sunday and less during the week, I I mean, I think that's up for you to decide. But, you know, I, I think this is, I think to have plans which are, hard and fast will probably be not right at the moment. I think it's thinking those through and, and flexibility, I believe, is the name of the game. Yeah. And I think the worry is, you know, everybody's mentioning eight to eight, seven days a week. So will the site need to be open all of that time? Um, you know, you could run out of vaccine. I think the worry is if the National Booking Centre is the one doing bookings, will they assume everybody's open eight till eight, seven days a week? Or will there be some way of saying, actually, we're doing Saturday and Sunday, we're not doing Monday to Friday. We can do all of our 975 in those two days. Funny enough, you'll be surprised that 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 is a question that I've been asking. You know, that's where I just think we need some local flexibility. Um, And that's where, you know, using extended hours to do some vaccinations as well. you know, the, the, to start with, in the initial bit, the Pfizer vaccine is, can you deliver a thousand doses over a five-day period? Because that's, if you don't, you're going to waste the vaccine and we can't waste it. Mm, yeah. Um, I'm loath to ask this one, but I think it's really important. And I know Nikki Kanani was asked this and slightly fudged the answer. Will we support practices who absolutely do not want to open over the, over the four-day Christmas weekend because they're burnt out? and tired um i think the lessons we learned from the easter was actually it's better to step up the out of hours rather than expecting all practices so i i can't imagine even if we're in the middle of a pandemic that the demand on christmas day and potentially boxing day is going to be great 
I think if you look at the weekends, my personal view at this point in time is if there is a need, then we could ask the volunteers. There are you know, some people that might be prepared to do that. The practices might be open for a short period of time. I mean, I think why Nikki probably dodged the question a bit is at this point in time, we do not know. You know, the COVID is really a national emergency, which, um, you know, the NHS is, and I, I recognise that people are working long hours and working under really different, difficult circumstances. So, you know, I think we would push quite hard to say, you know, look, you need to give people some time off and Christmas Day and Boxing Day, you know, if people are willing to work, then let's do it through through the centralised out-of-hours service. Yeah, okay. Um, well, a couple of questions. We've still got quite a few, but um, I know we're running out of time, Louise, so um, we will promise to answer them um, as we've done in the past where we haven't got around to them. But um, I like this one, Nigel. See what you think of this. It, this might be one of the ones where you say, don't ask the question, but I'll ask it and then you can say that. If we cannot use a vial between housebound, could we flex the rules, I'm not saying flex the rules, vaccinate four staff and take the final one out to the housebound patient? Well, you won't be able to take it out to the housebound patient because you can't move it. You know, one thing I said was, do you get that person to invite four of their friends around and then use the vaccine on them and then there's four more done? So, again, that's a question I've been asking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, as I say, there's still quite a lot um, on bits and bobs. I think we'd better leave it there, haven't we? Otherwise, you're going to kill me. Um, thank you ever so much, Nigel. I think we got the vast majority of it. But I promise you, we will we will answer all the questions they, and, and um, post you, them onto the website. Do you want me to stay on now and answer them? And if anybody wants to, they can listen. If not, they can go. Are we able to? Are we going to? Have we got um, time on Zoom? I didn't no, know. If yeah, were... yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. We can oh, definitely right. do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely do that. So thank Fire you. Through them. Um, do we vaccinate the staff at the care homes, even if they're not our patients? My understanding the... is different from the flu. And the answer is, I think you do. But again, I'm asking the question just to make absolutely sure, because they gave us some nonsense about it, it was all due to the regulations. Well, the regulations need to be altered if that's the case. So, yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah. Um, I think we're talking here a little bit about the roving stuff. Has any consideration been given to a street-by-street -street programme? Each street's given a day and time when the clinician will come in a mobile van and vaccinate people at the door. That, yeah, I mean, you've recognised, Jenny, that doesn't hit the age groups, but um, it might make more sense than getting people to come into you. I'll take that back. I mean, what they're asking us to do is start with the over 80s and then work down because they're the ones that are most at risk of dying from COVID. The younger you get, the your risk falls. So uh, under the current guidance, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. But I will, I will ask the question because I think that's not a bad idea. Yeah. And I think we've already answered about looking at eight to eight, seven to seven bank holidays. I, I think mean, the other thing, Carol, just to be mindful of, is there is a civil civil disorder thing in here. You know, if yeah. people believe they're going to be protected from the vaccine, um, I want it now. And then I can see people getting really difficult. So that they do want to keep to strict cohorts. Also, I, I don't believe you're going to get a certificate to say I've been vaccinated so I can now do anything I want. I can go on holiday wherever and, you know, I'm, I'm free to do anything. I, I think that's going to be really resisted because of the civil disorder uh, yeah. context that I'll put it in. 
I, I don't think there was there was a GP from London um, on BBC News this morning who actually said, yes, one to budget two, you can go on holiday. I thought we weren't um, advocating behaviour change no. because it's still all too new, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, being asked, can we do a holding sort of comms piece for patients because they're being inundated with questions and if it would be quite nice for practice to put something out that's a consistent message from, from the LMC on their behalf, I think we can put something together, can't yeah, we? If, if, you know, um, you, Lisa, Michelle and Dawn can put something together, uh, I'm happy to help you. I'm just going from meetings to meeting at the moment, so I just don't have yeah. time to do it. Well, that's, fine. We can we'll, do it. that's fine. Yeah, we can do it and you can vet it, okay? Yeah. Uh, next question. Once diluted, the vaccine lasts for six hours. Can you draw the vaccine up in the surgery and then take them out on home visits? No. Why not? Because of this transport issue, which I'll try and find the answer to, but I don't know why you okay. can't do it. Okay. Um, being asked... And that's, that's specific to the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah. My understanding is the AstraZeneca one, the Oxford trial one, which comes after Christmas, is the same vector of delivery as the normal flu vaccination. So it will have the same characteristics is my understanding. Yeah, okay. Um, next question about, do we have a choice um, or not to use the central booking service? Well, yeah. practices do, but what about patients in their letter? They'll be told they can go either, can't they? Yeah, so they can either come direct to the practice or they can use that. But if you don't sign up to the national booking system, um, then obviously their choice if they contact the national booking system is just to go to the mass vaccination centre. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's that's one for consideration, isn't it? Yeah. Um, our practice can be allowed the flexibility to rearrange routine work to deliver this programme in the efficient manner that they normally do. So the answer is you can rearrange it, but remember that people came to irreversible harm in wave one with particularly cardiovascular disease and cancer. So... The, the challenge of wave two is the, the government wants us to continue doing routine work or managing long-term conditions and non-COVID work. And again, the hospitals are being really pushed to carry on doing routine operations because people are just waiting longer and longer. So, you know, one of the discussions at the moment is what could you safely put on hold for a few months and what needs to be done? Because if I don't do it, patients will come to, to harm. And certainly if you look at the, the health inequalities, um, people with certainly with we're seeing people with cardiovascular disease who are coming to harm because they're not being actively managed. So it won't be a case of just stop all routine care like before and just focus on this and then come back to it when you've got a moment to do it. Right. OK. And actually that that. The next question follows quite nicely on. Do you think the flu programme for the 50 to 64-year-olds might be suspended so that they can concentrate on the COVID? So it's a, a fairly hot topic of discussion at the moment. And I think uh, that the challenge for the government is they promised to do it, haven't they? They said that that will be available and we mm -hmm. think there might be enough vaccine available. And I know practices have contacted me who say we want to get on and do this because um, we've got vaccine available for the under 65. So again... That's being discussed at the moment. Okay. Um, this is an interesting one. I think it's something you alluded to as well about um, possible civil unrest. Will practices need to be thinking about security if uh, patients are aware that uh, vaccines are going to be delivered? I, I, I mean, I think sadly it's something you just, you will need to do. Make, make sure your security is as good as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, I think we've only got a couple left. Someone, somebody's just asking for clarification on how the housebound, housebound vaccinations will actually work. So I would just wait till we get more detail. So the, the simple answer would be, if you go out with the Pfizer vaccine, and if what I've been told is correct, we're going to waste vaccine. If the AstraZeneca one comes out early in the new year, then it would make more sense to use the AstraZeneca on housebound patients, particularly if the community staff are going to do that rather than general yeah. practice. So again, you know, there isn't an exact answer. Please just give us a bit of time to work through that. Yeah, okay. Um, there's some a question about insurance. Fridges are only insured to hold a certain amount of value um, and, and there's a greater risk if they have a break-in or something like that. So the, these won't be, there's no value to it. You haven't had to buy them. You're going to be given them. So I wouldn't worry about that. And, and actually going on from that, so let's say a patient um, gets vaccinated at a mass vaccination centre um, practices obviously won't get paid for that because they're not doing them. Um, but what, where they do do the work on other practices or PCN's patients, how does that? How are they going to get the funding? So they've talked about equity of funding. So my understanding is that whoever does the vaccine will get paid for it. So there will be money going into mass vaccination sites as well as into the, the site in the PCN. So if you work collaboratively together, you need to work that out. But essentially, um, if you record you've delivered it as a practice, you will get paid for it. Presumably it'd be a bit like the flu where the drop downs that you put it under different boxes yeah. to say this was the situation okay. That's my um, assumption, the same as yours, Carol. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard that the vaccine boxes, certainly the Pfizer ones, are about the size of a pizza box. Is that about right? So people are looking at how big their fridges are and um, what they're going to need for storage. So, so we have asked the question because uh, some of us have been saying, you know, you get a pizza box because it comes up all packaged up that you can't break up. So we are asking that question to see quite um, how big the pizza boxes are. But they aren't pizza boxes, by the way. They are proper boxes. Yeah, okay. But it doesn't look, I mean, I'm just going back on if you vaccinate somebody else, you're not going to have to register patients. We had all that nonsense with the flu vac, didn't we? Uh, yeah. I think they're being a lot more pragmatic, aren't they? About yeah. If you've done a vaccine, you've done a vaccine, thank God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, somebody's asking about, do we know where the proposed mass vaccine sites are going to be? Because that will be helpful for PCNs to work out where they need to put their site so the patients have got a bit more. So, yes, we've got some ideas. So, you know, just think about if you were designing this, where would you put somewhere? So if you take one per county, essentially, where would you put somewhere that's um, got good road links, got a big venue that's not being used very much at the moment, um, could house lots of people with through traffic and big areas for people to see. So nowhere has been decided. Sorry? Jan's just put in a football club, Devon's put in airports, yeah, all the things I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The ports, you know, um, so cricket ground, you know, there's a whole host of things, but at the moment, nowhere has been decided. So the same as we've got to identify where the sites are in PCNs, the same as being asked about where are you going to have your mass vaccination site. Yeah. Um, uh, just final couple that... Um, um, is it, isn't it easier to have roving nurses and clinicians rather than roving patients? So you stick the patient on a chair in a room, leave them there for 15 minutes, that will reduce footfall and probably 
uh, allow for social distancing. I think it depends what else is going on in the practice, presumably. But uh, yeah, you might not leave them in your room with your computer on. But again, this is where I think each practice will be. You know, if we can share how people have done it, this is where we can be innovative and share the ideas. Yeah, and I think the part about claiming payment if you're not registering um, patients. That will be worked out. It'll be worked out, won't it? Yeah. yeah. Right. And Louise is going to kill me if we don't finish because there is another webinar coming on here. I think yeah. we've done virtually everything. There's hardly anything left. So, um, Louise, I'll leave it over to you to, to finish off. But thanks ever so much, Nigel. That was really helpful. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks, Nigel. Thank that was absolutely fantastic. Sorry, Nigel, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say thank you to all the practice managers who stayed on to listen to the end. And, you know, your feedback is really useful. Um, you know, we, we can only work on what we believe is the right thing to do based on, you know, what you and your practices are telling us. You know, we recognise this is not straightforward. We recognise there are challenges and problems and, and we will work tirelessly to try and get solutions that make it work for you and your patients. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. I'm going to end it now because my machine is needed for another webinar very soon. OK, thank you very much, everybody. Bye bye. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. 